You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. And welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy 7, as always. Got a solo show for you guys this week. We'll talk a bit about the Cardinals' loss to the Seahawks. What not just it means for the season, but for the Cardinals as a whole. Some of the sources and reasons for why Arizona has had such a down season. Talk a bit about what we took away from Hard Knocks. And of course, we'll preview an upcoming showdown with the Los Angeles Rams that um, may be a little bit of a hard watch given the quarterback situation. So uh, let's begin talking a little bit just about the Seahawks game in review. I know it's Friday by the time you'll hear this, so it may have been talked to death, but... It bears at least understanding a little bit, I think, in the context of what it is that's gone wrong for Arizona this season. So let's start talking about that. Why is it that Arizona has been having a 7-0 and start last year in 2021 to now see the team fall to 3-6 and on the season in 2022? And I think one of the biggest things that you can honestly look at, at least for the most part, is at the team, at how they've been built, at the coaching um, we'll talk a bit more about some of that for Hard Knocks, but I got five biggest issues I think I want to open with, at least for the 2022 cards, and you get to see them all essentially play out across the board. Uh, and the first one, at least for that one, I think is a shot, at least with the game, of how there have been inopportune penalties at inopportune times, or inopportune mistakes, I think you can say, even a better uh, one of the things that stands out, obviously, from the Seahawks game was the Cardinals get momentum. They drive down the field, and ultimately, you know, you look at Billy Price, you have two back-to-back penalties in which he either doesn't snap the ball or jumps offside. Uh, to me, it seems like from seeing with football it, that there's a thing called the snap count that each team is able to have. You know, the quarterback, at least, has on the mark, you're ready to snap it, and either Price did not hear, which... Now, some Cardinals fans may say that it's Seahawks fans in the building. Some may just say that there was just something with the timing. In whatever case it would be, that's one of the reasons why the Cardinals, essentially, you look at the team, they get out to a great start. You have a first drive touchdown, first of the year. And then after that, essentially, it took the defense to come back, where the offense did make one last play down for the game in the fourth quarter, but that essentially ends up being one of the things you'll see now. DeAndre Hopkins scores on a... Uh, 22-yard pass from Kyler Murray going into the end zone on a nice mesh concept. Very similar to his touchdown in the very first game he played with the Cardinals back in 2020 against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Mesh concepts are essentially just a staple of not just your air raid offense, but the idea, at least, of course, of two guys run close to each other. If there's a man trailing them in coverage, you're not able to kind of get through that whole jumbled mess. And you see DeAndre Hopkins draw a linebacker in coverage, and you're like, oh, All right, as long as Kyler Murray can get the ball to him, this should be a pretty big play. Cardinals defense does at least hold for the most part, and then you end up seeing, of course, a couple of punts back and forth. And then one of the things that you see with this Cardinals team is that the defense, at least, is consistently inconsistent. That's going to be point number four. We didn't expect this Cardinals defense to be great this year. But when you look at how the Cardinals' defense has behaved, they've given up 30-plus points in the last game, giving up 31 points to the Seattle Seahawks, Arizona only scoring 21. So this is essentially the second game that you've seen a bit of a breakdown from Arizona. Previously, we could have stats to pour over about how 
when DeAndre Hopkins is on the field, when J.J. Watt is on the field. At the Arizona Cardinals usually score about 30 points, and they usually win the game. They're now 0-2 with those two on the field at the same time. And part of it, I think, is because whenever you do see some momentum, it seems to die. You have first and 10, James Conner up the middle for four yards. Zach Ertz, five yards. And then suddenly you've got the Billy Price fumble where it costs over Kyler Murray's head. And this is a team that, as you said, the Cardinals usually are best in their front runners. They go up, get a lead. They're able to run the ball on you, play mistake-free football. And so on third and one, suddenly they have to punt. And then you see what happens after that. Seahawks immediately follow with a touchdown. 12-yard pass to Noah Fant on third down. You see then the third and goal at the Arizona 4. Uh, DK Metcalf is able to get a play. Byron Murphy almost, I believe, has an interception. Ends up kind of bouncing off. And Seahawks end up going back and taking the lead. Cardinals followed up with another punt. You end up seeing at least the... Uh, Kyler Murray should have thrown an interception under pressure to Zach Ertz. Throw a little bit behind him. A great play by Kobe Bryant. Another... Um, young Seahawks, a rookie who's actually making a name for himself. Um, then on the third and eight, you see at least they call the penalty on Cody Ford. Then third and 13, they call it on Lasita Smith. Really, when you look at the tape, the false start was more of on the center himself, not snapping the ball. And then, of course, you have the Cardinals basically having Seattle forcing a play on downs the defense. So you now look at this as an interesting case of this is essentially what the Cardinals defense Coming into the season, we said there were concerns. There were issues at cornerback. There were inexperienced linebackers. The defensive line and the edge rushers especially were a question. Yet we've seen the Cardinals' defense essentially be able to be the better side of the ball. And that didn't change for that much in the Seattle Seahawks game. After the Cardinals punt, they're still down by three. At fourth and two in the Arizona 36, you end up seeing Zach Allen go and blow up the play on a small uh, shovel pass to Kobe Parkinson. Cardinals now take over at their 40-yard line, and what happens? Incomplete. Kyler runs. Third and four. Incomplete to Hopkins. Tariq Woolen breaks up the pass. And while the Arizona Cardinals did manage to be able to get the ball back for us, another three and out on Seattle. And you see Kyler Murray driving down the field about to score. Ball is fumbled. You look at the replay on the tape, especially the hard knocks copy, and this was essentially a great play by Ryan Neal, but also an interesting case of what Kyler Murray said on Hard Knocks, where you see that Kyler Murray doesn't necessarily have the ball stripped away. He didn't necessarily have the ball knocked out of his hand. What happened was, it's kind of three quarters of the way running, Ryan Neal tackles him, and you end up seeing the football just kind of fly up and out of Kyler Murray's hands, almost like he threw it, and you realize when Neal tackled him, he essentially just stopped all of his momentum. Kyler's running with one hand on the ball. That hand keeps moving despite the fact that Kyler Murray does not. It's like when you're in a car and you end up seeing those car accidents where people get thrown out the window from the force. Or maybe you're even just watching, you know, someone on a rolling chair. You pull the rolling chair, push them, and then you pull the rolling chair back. The momentum continues forward. And it's unfortunate, but it's one of those cases, at least, of where we saw Kyler Murray in his first year essentially go for almost a whole season without fumbling, despite holding one hand onto the ball. And yet against these NFC West teams, we've seen now multiple fumbles that he's had. And that's one of the things that's just tough with division games is that it's unfortunate. But that's one of the things that happened. Then you get to the second half. You end up seeing the pick six put Arizona back on top. You see the defense step up. And how does the defense then respond? A 13-play, 75-yard drive where the Seahawks essentially were able to convert on multiple first downs 
despite the fact that they were in third and seven, had a delay of game penalty. Tyler Lockett essentially picks up 12 yards, maybe is a little short of the first down, but gets called for unnecessary roughness. And then essentially have the push-off pass from, uh, from them on the goal line, which, of course, as we can say, that's a pass that should have essentially been called offensive pass interference. Sometimes the calls go your way, other times they do not. It's one of these things where it's kind of that season for the Cardinals, and what I think happens when you look at how things break down for a good team and a bad team, usually what ends up happening is that the NFL is full of luck. A lot of things have to go right to win a football game. A lot of things also have to go wrong to win a football game. But usually the better team gets the chance on that probability where things can just happen to bounce their way. And it did not for the Arizona Cardinals. The interesting thing, at least for Arizona, is if you look at their team, they go 6 of 14 on third down. Very inefficient. Go 0 of 2 on fourth down. And that 0 of 2 is only because they should have gone... And gotten a first down, but Kyler Murray, of course, had that infamous fumble. Cardinals lose out in the points. And it felt like between the high snap, between the penalties, between the Murray fumble, it felt like the Cardinals were putting themselves into a hole. And yet that's what happened, at least, with the defense. We talked about being consistently inconsistent, where essentially they only get off the field after a sack or after a takeaway. Give up 10 out of the 15 third down plays to Seattle. That seems to me that there's two issues that you can And you can look at this, too. Not necessarily the coverage, because you're expecting an offense to make plays. You can see how Geno Smith ran and took off up the middle. You can see how those bootleg plays that Seattle ran in the fourth quarter were effective, despite the fact the coaching staff talked about it. And you can also at least see how the Cardinals are focused under a Vance Joseph as a defense about getting sacks, getting the ball or teams off the field on fourth down, and getting interceptions or turnovers. And where I think that ends up being an issue is when teams are able to do well enough to get yards in first and second down, when guys aren't making plays, then you're so reliant on Tanner Vallejo catching a ball to get that turnover, on Byron Murphy getting a turnover, that if the ball just doesn't bounce your way, you're not going to be able to win one of those games for Arizona. (sighs) That's one of the areas we have. I think as far as where you'd look at for one of the other issues that's popped up, and I would say this from looking back at the tape, some of the L-22 film, I think Cliff's offense with the Cardinals, it's a lot more simple than we've said. We see a lot of from last year. We saw go routes. We saw slot fade routes. We saw the horizontal passing game to Rondale Moore, who fortunately in this game, he actually got downfield quite a bit more at eight catches for 69 yards. We've gotten to see them finally graduate him from behind the line of scrimmage. But ultimately, a lot of this offense is really based around being able to spread teams out to run the football, being able to put teams into a position where they can then see one-on-one matchups, and then Kyler Murray being able to either throw against those matchups or being able to, if things break down, have the ability to scramble and get out of the way of those. And what I think we've seen with the Cardinals is that between those and DeAndre Hopkins, Those are easy to break down if you've got the talent. You look and see how the Seahawks' spectacular rookie cornerback, Tariq Woolen, is doing. One of the plays, DeAndre Hopkins running a sail route up the middle. Woolen's burst catches up. He's able to get a hand in front of the ball. You can say maybe he was a little bit behind DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe you can run back to it. Sometimes you got to credit at least the defensive back making a good play. It's not all about the offense not executing. Um, Sometimes it's about a Booter Baker was just better than you. 
And I think that the offense, from what I've seen, there's times where it seems like when you watch at least on the field, one of the pass rush snaps that stood out to me at least was you got the Seahawks edge rusher, you got Kyler Murray back there. He rushes against Kelvin Beach, and you see him kind of play an interesting form of contain where he essentially starts going upfield, keeping Kyler Murray in the pocket. Kelvin Beecham starts to push him outside. He kind of is pushing to contain Kyler. And then as soon as Kyler starts to show a simple little twitch to the outside, which is due to, you, know, you can see Cody Ford gets walked back into him. He starts to try to bail out of the pocket, run to his right, take a look, be able to see. There's not really a pocket to step up into. Now, sometimes Kyler can bail of his own volition when there is a pocket. Sometimes you can say if he steps forward, the Seahawks defensive line is just ready for him. That may be having to break an arm tackle or so to get upfield. There may be a guy who's spying him, but he tries to break right, and it almost seems as though the pass rusher had been coached up on. Break inside, keep him inside, and as soon as you do, jump to the outside. And he immediately did that. Murray ends up having to essentially almost sidearm the ball just up the field. He gets a hit as he goes, and you feel like ultimately the Seahawks defense was more prepared. Now, the question, of course, people say is how much of that's coaching? How much of that is on the players? I think the answer to that somewhat can be, uh, yeah. <laughs> players have to make plays. Coaches are the ones who try to put them in positions to make those plays. And I think what we've seen for the most part is that this Cardinals offense really has kind of reverted to some of those early 2020 levels where you can see DeAndre Hopkins is the offense. The Cardinals have another decent receiver out of the slot on the field. But the lack of having another outside wide receiver, the fact that Zach Ertz, at least, has been able to get passes, but just hasn't been necessarily a dominant threat at tight end, which, of course, some of that goes on to Trey McBride and the Cardinals being able to run a lot more 10 personnel with Ertz on the field. But Kyler only threw for 175 yards in the game. He did rush for 60 yards. I think he's showing that he's going to be able to at least put up yards on the ground when he needs to and we've seen that he even got injured as a result so if he plays this week I don't know if I would want him to play but if he can go he can go we've seen at least Murray be able to go up against solid defenses and be able to produce and perform but a lot of that has been dependent ultimately on not just the offense being able to have their plays go off on players catching the ball but also is dependent at least on Kyler Murray himself. Because as we know, when Kyler's healthy, Kyler plays great. When Kyler's battling injuries, there's questions whether or not he's able to have the same production, the same performance. And there's clearly two injuries that Kyler Murray's been struggling with this season. One we learned about this last Wednesday is Kyler Murray did not practice with a hamstring injury. We see on Hard Knocks <sighs> that the hamstring had been bothering him seemed like it came up again and then he pulled it while he was running and that was part of the reason he even acknowledged was he didn't want to pull the hamstring which is what allowed one of the players to catch him and when you watch that on replay you look at some past Kyler Murray highlights or even look at Kyler Murray rushing earlier in that game the acceleration speed was something different but on that run that looked a tad slower it looked more like your 34 year old Russell Wilson running and I think some of that at least ultimately shows that the dependency on Kyler Murray to be able to essentially make plays on himself shows that there's issues with Cliff Kingsbury's offense and the design and structure of it because I don't think it's bad for what's happened. You've seen success with it. But I think that what we've seen, at least at the Cardinals, kind of ran it back last year. Lost Christian Kirk. 
took a while to evolve Rondale Moore, lost Hollywood Brown. You can say at least that for talent or whatsoever, but the fact of the matter remains is that most of this team functions around Kyler's rushing ability. And as we've seen with quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, we've seen with other quarterbacks who've gotten hurt, the rushing ability is needed, especially for young quarterbacks who are learning the game, learning the coverages. You need to have production on offense to win the games, and rushing is production. I think the second thing, at least with Kyler, is that we know that the wrist injury has been bothering him. I think some of that, I think some of that ends up having to be why exactly we've seen Kyler Murray, at least, not have as much of a deep ball this year. But there's another reason why. Um, so after you look at that with Kyler and look at everything else, the number two reason is injuries. Kyler Murray being one of those. You can see the step back, whether it's processing, whether it's injuries. In whatever case, for the most part, you've had injuries to key players at the wrong time. And that's been one of the biggest issues that you've had overall with the Cardinals. I think even more than the coaching. Sure, you can say at least, obviously, that Cliff Kingsbury, for what I think, is doing the best that he can. Now, maybe we're going to see if there's a ceiling or not. Maybe there's limitations to what he has over the middle of the field with a shorter quarterback. Perhaps his offensive game plan revolves so heavily around being able to put up um, plays for Kyler that go to the horizontal areas and go down to the riddle of the field by spreading teams out, that there are issues for the most part whenever the team does have to drop back, gets down, and has to throw to win the game. But the injuries can't be overstated. The Cardinals have lost now with Will Hernandez leaving the game after the first series. They're starting three offensive linemen. And don't forget, they started the season and looked decent enough with Justin Pugh and Rodney Hudson in there. Then Hudson goes out. Pugh then goes out for the season. They bring in Cody Ford, who was, of course, traded for a fifth-round pick by the Buffalo Bills. Was a backup for them at the time. You also see how last year's um, underrated player, maybe, Max Garcia, who then kind of turned and essentially got a little exposed maybe in his ability to pass set. And he did, for what it's worth, seemed like he was playing through injuries last year as well. If you look at those injuries, you look at least with how the Cardinals' running back situation has shaken out, where instead of a running back by committee to keep James Conner healthy, it's been essentially having to get running back five, Keontae Ingram, relatively decent snaps. And I'm excited for Ingram in 2023. But it's not really 2023 yet. He's having to essentially get baptized by fire. You know, Benjamin's a smaller back. And James Conner, as we've seen, can run angry. He can get guys out of the way. But I think he's best suited to be an RB2, fringe RB1 last year when he's in a timeshare. And I think that we've got that situation between him and Eno Benjamin. But the injuries to the interior of the offensive line is an issue. And I think one of the things you look at Kyler Murray and say, all right, the yards per attempt is brutal. It's so low. Why are we basically taking this exciting quarterback and turning him into Sam Bradford? Let's take a look at some of the other quarterbacks. Who are quarterbacks who have thrown the ball more than any other quarterback in the NFL this year? The question you say is, all right, well, is that a passing offense? No, that's, that's because when you can't run the ball, when your defense is not great, you end up having your quarterback throwing the ball maybe 40, 50 times a game. And so the quarterbacks who have thrown it the most per game are number one, Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Number two, Justin Herbert. Number three, Kyler Murray. Now that's really interesting. 
If Cliff Kingsbury is the one to blame, at least, for everything that's going wrong with the Cardinals' offense, well, you're looking at least at Tom Brady and that offense that we've seen win a Super Bowl for having similar struggles. We're also seeing Justin Herbert, who had the high-flying attack last year, have issues. And he's got one of the lowest as well with Arizona as far as, you know, what expectations were. And then, of course, it's followed up with Kyler Murray, whose yards per attempt in 2022 only are surpassed <laughs> by the Steelers' starting quarterback, at least, Kenny Pickett. He's still behind Mitchell Trubisky at 6.2 yards per attempt. Now, what's interesting is you take a look at that list and you can see, all right, Tom Brady, 6.4 yards per attempt. Justin Herbert, 6.4 yards per attempt. Why is it that these good quarterbacks are so low on their yards per attempt? Some people look at Tampa Bay and say, all right, they're just running the ball off the middle for no gain. You look at Justin Herbert and their team, they're having all sorts of the same issues. And you look at the common thread between what are the Cardinals, the Bucks, and the Chargers have in common. It becomes pretty clear. Tom Brady loses his starting center before the season begins, loses another starting guard in camp. Kyler Murray, Rodney Hudson's out, doesn't enter the season healthy. Justin Herbert loses his starting center, loses a starting tackle, loses his other starting tackle after Rashawn Slater and Trey Pipkins go out. And suddenly it becomes really clear that all of these offensive problems are because there's those injuries and because that talent is off the field. And it makes sense, doesn't it? When you've got issues at center and your offensive line is bad, you can't run the ball, and then you don't have a deep passing game. Why not? Because those deep routes take time. You can't just play action people and then be able to hold on to the ball. You need to have a pocket that you can throw from. So I think that's one of the things that we need to look at as Cardinals fans and say that, you know what? Some of this season is a bad season. And some of that may be you go as far as your offensive line goes. You look at when Rodney Hudson played last year, when Rodney Hudson was out last year. And not to say that it all comes down to only one thing on the football field, but it is a huge thing, I think, this year for all three of those teams because they have been decimated on the offensive line. You know what other team was decimated on the offensive line? <laughs> the 2018 Arizona Cardinals that did finish with that number one pick overall. They had issues across their all five starting linemen missing. Lack of any sort of a run game. David Johnson still managed to get a great yard total, but part of it because of the number of sheer, the sheer number of carries that he had. And I think that's one of the things as far as for why this Cardinals team has been there. And that leads to my number one reason, I think, because if you look at in the past, the Arizona Cardinals have been able to overcome issues like this before. They're able to overcome some of the offensive line issues with Bradley Sowell. Had Carson Palmer running bootlegs to his right because Bradley Sowell couldn't protect him on his left in that 2013 season. You've seen guys get injured and go down. We even saw last year the Arizona Cardinals were missing DJ Humphreys. They end up having their uh, backup at center. I believe it wasn't even, I don't even think Rodney Hudson was playing last year against the Cowboys. Uh, pardon me if he was. But then Josh Jones was able to step up and you shifted over Calvin Beecham to left tackle and things went well. And that next man up philosophy, I think, at least shows the number one reason why there's been issues with this Cardinals team. And I think that it all comes down to the culture, to the level of trust, to ultimately, I think, what we see in Arizona all stems from that one singular thing. As far as they're not on the same page with each other. We can say that back in 2019 is pretty easy to see that Patrick Peterson gets suspended. Cardinals 
really just kind of make him own up to it. He ends up being in a spot where he expects Arizona to take care of him, like a star player, being a great player there. We see notes instead, he says, that are left on his seat during the locker room, which may indicate that the coaching staff at least would put that. Maybe it was someone from the front office. He has been essentially very adamant about the team's front office, and especially Steve Kime being the guy he has an issue with in general. And then we see that this last summer where the Cardinals end up losing plenty of games down the stretch. We end up hearing stories of Michael Bidwell being upset through Kyle Odegaard, whether that is something that's sourced or not. It is an area where going from that to then handing out the extensions, it seems like there's definitely like some areas of trying to see about trust that's in the case, but it feels ultimately like that it's very reversed. Like there's a difference between calling in, being disappointed, being very upset, and then giving a five-year extension to being able to say, hey, this is all right. We'll come back. We'll get it showing confidence and not having one of these things leak into the media. Obviously, disappointment can be a huge area for the most part, but that's where a lot of trust comes down is you have to be able to trust that you've got the right coach and the right GM and the right quarterback to fix those problems. And we didn't see that over the summer due to the delays, the agent pushing. And at the end of the day, the Kyler Murray study clause in the contract, that is probably one of the biggest indications of a lack of trust within the Cardinals, I think, that we could have seen coming. And during into this year, you can look at Steve Kime putting the team together, bringing back a lot of players, putting trust in that. And then essentially, he admits that, hey, I probably could have fielded a better team for the most part. Talks a little bit about Kyler Murray, and we see at least for the most part that they kind of were betting on Murray to win. And when he's regressed, you haven't seen the rest of the team step up. We've seen some plots of, hey, we're going to go and get Hollywood Brown for you. We're going to go ahead and build... You know, a team full of weapons, kind of putting that trust and investment into Cliff Kingsbury. Even trading for the likes of uh, Robbie Anderson after Hollywood Brown goes down, trying to get Cliff the receivers for his scheme. But it really does feel like in a lot of different ways that the team building, the philosophy, all of that kind of stems from, I think, the culture of the Cardinals is not really where it needs to be. And I think that you can say how much of that is dependent on Cliff, Kyler, and Kime. How much of that is simply in the image of Michael Bidwell? I mean, the stuff from Patrick Peterson, you can relay that and look and see during the Steve Wilkes era. There's been a lot of areas it feels like that we've seen the Cardinals either find some sort of compromise or split some sort of direction. Ever since that 2017 year, where the Cardinals essentially decided to not trade up and get a quarterback, but to stay put, to get Hassan Reddick, keep that extra, I think it was either extra or keep that third round pick that they had from the Calais Campbell deal to go and get another wide receiver to kind of win now with Bruce Arians. It just feels like that the Cardinals have ultimately not quite been on the same page. It's kind of like if you're in a marriage and you're in a relationship and you don't fully trust the other person, that's how you know. It's like, okay, well, this isn't working. Oh, you find out that they signed a prenup before they got married. Well, that tells you automatically that one of the issues that we can see is that the ownership either doesn't trust the players enough, doesn't trust his coaching staff enough, or in some regards is putting faith in the wrong people. And I think that that's something that a lot of players could look at through that Steve Kimes season after the DUI. He keeps his job, whereas the two-game suspension for Bobby Massey, the Cardinals almost immediately look to move off of him. 
As soon as an incident popped up with a couple of players, they went to move off from Except with Jarrell Washington, well, they handed him out that contract. I think maybe at the end of the day, that's one of the things that we're seeing on the field from Kyler Murray. We're seeing him not really trust a lot of his offensive line and protection, and we're not really seeing that offensive line of protection deliver for him. You're watching guys get beat, him trying to make sense out of all of it, trying to move. You're seeing DeAndre Hopkins say, hey, I'm open. We're not seeing him develop the same way that I think the Cardinals expected him to develop after paying him and having a little bit less money to work with. It's a sign, I think, that the culture has got to find a way to shift. That means that some of that's going to fall on to Michael Bidwell. Some of that's going to fall on to Steve Kime. But the one thing I think as far as that level of trust goes into is some of that's going to have to basically come from Kyler Murray as well. Hopkins saying, what are you seeing? I'm wide open up the seam. Murray saying, hey, I'm trying to win games. How much of that at least is Kyler Murray being able to change? How much of it is simply he's reached the limits of what he can be coached to do? He's executing the plays as best he can. The players just aren't able to make those plays or he's not able to make those plays. Maybe he's stemming from a lack of trust in his arm. Maybe that's some of the adjustments that we've seen. The injuries we've obviously seen have done something that's been there. It's hard for him to be able to even trust his body. There's just a lack of trust on the Cardinals right now. And when you've got a lack of trust, that's a chink in your armor. Last year, you can see the Cardinals had almost this sort of strange, absolute faith that they had as far as trust. And you saw that through that 7-0 game series where they knew the defense would make plays. We know these players are going to work, such as Kyler being able to look like he's taking off. Then hitting Christian Kirk, who's coming open. You see how J.J. Watt, at least, was such a huge loss for the team. But even in that game against the Packers, you can see how without J.J. Watt, and even without DeAndre Hopkins, the Cardinals still made plays and were in position to win the game. And then A.J. Green does not turn around, and it seems like ever since that aspect, you got to wonder, has Kyler been questioning some of his teammates? Have the teammates been questioning Kyler Murray and the ability that he's going to have to be able to win games? We see it up with Seattle for the most part with Pete Carroll dumping on Geno Smith, it seems about, with different ideas in different places and how much faith and trust they have in him on third downs or to be able to go and throw the ball in third and long, going for it on fourth down. And it makes me think that this Cardinals team has to got to figure out at least once and for all if they can get that trust and build that together. Because I don't know if Kyler Murray, Steve Kime, and Michael Bidwell are on that same page. I think Cliff has done the best that he can. And some of it even is with the fan base, you always have to earn trust back. That was one of the things that was a struggle, I think, for a lot of fans when they saw the Cardinals, whenever the team plays poorly, they seem to say, oh, same old Cardinals were bad. It was lack of trust. And that's something I think that is very important for the team. Not just for their fans to be able to have trust in the team and the ownership and the management. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, fans don't have any control over it. But the perception, at least, that fans have and then the chatter and other places, that is one of the things that pops up. And that's why currently we had a new poll on Revenge of the Birds that went through to say, hey, how confident are you in the Cardinals and the direction of the team? And the answer is it went from 75% to 25%, hovered a little bit in the middle. After week seven, went back up to about 50%. And now in week 10, it's almost at 0%. If it continues on that pattern and sinks to suddenly less than confidence, at least, and this is, again, Cardinals fans, they're, they're harsh to begin with. That's going to be a tough thing. All right, let's talk a little bit now about what we have with the Arizona Cardinals, some of the moves this week. Buda Baker surprisingly practicing. He's going to be questionable. Byron Murphy not practicing. 
can see at least as far as with uh, Kyler Murray has continued to practice, but there have been question marks. I think it's going to be interesting because for me personally, I think that you playing Colt McCoy would be one of the best things that you can have. You could be able to put Colt McCoy in. You'd be able to have essentially a lot of good play from uh, him last year that you can test a bit and say Cliff Kingsbury was able to adapt. Colt McCoy was able to play well. James Conner also was a beast running around breaking tackles. He was put into a good position. And the Cardinals' defense, at least, played incredibly well. I think that the biggest interesting question for me is going to be the matchup because if Matthew Stafford does not play, and after all, he did practice and did not play, it's going to make it very interesting to see what happens overall. Because these Cardinals teams, oh man, they and the Rams look so much like each other right now. The difference is the Rams won a Super Bowl, lost talent to retirement, lost talent to injury, tried to sign Allen Robinson, and none of that's worked out. You throw in Matthew Stafford's elbow injury, and that's, that's a big issue. Now you look at the Cardinals, Rodney Hudson going down, and this is recorded here and just looks like Rodney Hudson has gone on IR out for at least four games. Perhaps he goes out for the entire season. This is probably one of those cases where you talk about the culture and Steve Keim. The Cardinals knew that they needed an answer. They didn't really have one besides bringing Hudson back. The only other one they did have was Tyler Linderbaum, and it seems almost like in this case you say, what is better for your quarterback? Trading for his buddy, getting a third-round pick and a wide receiver that you know can help cover up for DeAndre Hopkins, maybe have a dynamic passing attack if everything goes right. And then looking at, hey, we can get Cam Jurgens in round two only to see Philadelphia take him. There seems to be a level of trust in the Cardinals and whatever their sources, their evaluations of other teams are. Because I think the Cardinals evaluate themselves very well. I think they evaluate free agents, pro personnel, guys who are in the league very well. I don't think that they value what other teams are looking at very well at all. Because I think that they are so inwardly focused that they maybe overestimate some of their players, some of the abilities. Or they look at other players and say, we got to trade for Rodney Hudson because we know this guy, he's not good. So I think what will happen this week for me is I would expect that Kyler doesn't play. We saw last year that he still practiced in limited fashion only for Colt McCoy to get three weeks in. That hamstring being hurt, the wrist being hurt. I think that you keep Kyler out and then you get a good look at the offense with maybe a few guys getting healthy. I think also Buda Baker, we'll see if he plays. If he does play, that will be a, a tremendous boost to the Cardinals. But on the other side of the ball, you got John Wolford, who essentially had to outduel the third string quarterback, who was not really that prepared in Chris Streller to play, was not really that good as far as the pass game. And you get into a spot where if your team does not have a run game due to the running backs, due to the offensive line, it's going to be tough out there. The biggest thing I think here is can Zach Allen and J.J. Watt force more plays, get the Rams behind the sticks, and then Aaron Donald is able to be the one who carries the Rams on the other side of the ball. Because if Cooper Cup doesn't see Byron Murphy, then oof, that's going to be rough. And if you take a look here at uh, the other side of the ball, DeAndre Hopkins getting what could be a soft Rams secondary, but Jalen Ramsey's healthy. I think it comes down ultimately to who is going to be the team that's not just more desperate, but the team that doesn't shoot themselves in the foot. 
Because if the preparation we come in and we're talking about how Sean McVay's Cardinals ran over Arizona yet again, getting a close margin of victory, or Colt McCoy simply folding under the pressure and giving up a fumble return or an interception, then it might become very clear that, man, Cliff Kingsbury is probably either part of the problem or just you look at Steve Kime and say, this is just a team that's injured. It's not. You got to basically recognize it's a bad team this year. You got unlucky. And you got to figure out if you need to move on or if you trust your general manager to get it right. Because last time that they trusted the general manager to get it right, they got Cliff. They moved on from their quarterback. They added a few pieces, at least, on the offensive line, got some guys back. There's trust, I think, between Michael and Steve Kime. Will that trust hold another time around, particularly when your quarterback is actually your quarterback making $230 million. That may make a change. Now, let's talk about the opposite. Let's say Colt McCoy comes in. The Cardinals are much better prepared. They're better equipped. We suddenly start seeing at least the ability in the run game or some of those checks take off. And we see Colt being able to hit some different guys under pressure, whether he's standing in the pocket, taking a hit. And the Cardinals come away with a win. <laughs> well, suddenly, I think you may look at that and say, all right, how much of this on coaching and how much of this is on Kyler? Is that a redemptive quality for Cliff Kingsbury where his scheme and his offense fit Colt McCoy? Then you have to decide, man, do we pull a Russell Wilson and trade Kyler knowing that we've got Colt, but we can go out and use those picks, try to go and either trade up or get a quarterback knowing that Cliff is probably the guy who's the best, and it's all on Murray this year. And how much of it is that your quarterback is what Cliff has designed stuff around and that Cliff's offense and that approach is not conducive to the skill set. It is maybe in college, maybe to start, but when teams have adjusted, it's no longer conducive. Let's talk now and let's finish up with some comments on hard knocks. I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is the stakes are plain to everyone in the Seahawks and they still made mistakes. They still lost. It seemed like the Cardinals going in had hope and then suddenly what shifted was a lack of hope at the end after they end up dropping to three and six. It seemed like that may have been their last chance and I wonder what hard knocks will look like this week. Will they still push and say, hey, guys, we win the next two. Won't be in for first place, but hey, things fall our way. We could still be in the push for that. We just got to win these next two games. We got to be smart, make plays. We did this to ourselves last game. Well, I don't know if they believe that anymore. It's Joseph going out saying they can't stop us if we play our game right. Cliff Kingsbury is saying that the offense, Seattle's defense can't stop them. Those seem like hollow words. That could potentially ring on deaf ears is it seems like the Cardinals are struggling. They have issues and problems and they don't know how or why to fix it because I think a lot of it comes down to talent. And so how much of that is Cliff Kingsbury not being able to maximize his talent of not being able to adjust or needing that talent to succeed? Basically, the talent makes him look better. How much of that's then all the case in the NFL where, hey, guys just got hurt. Steve found the guys. Cliff's coaching him upright. It's just that's the factor and then talking about effort on hard knocks with playing like effort like Buda Baker does play it this way that could matter a lot too I think there's a lot that uh, could be also resolved as far as for figuring out if the Cardinals simply don't know what their issues are I think for me it's just it's the injuries and then just the way that happens I think for a lot of times is if talent's able to cover up for flaws lack of talent exposes those flaws with the lack of depth whereas I think the Bruce Arians Cardinals not only had depth but they were able to have coaches that could put players in decent positions and they could still find ways to win ugly whereas this Cardinals team I think when you get down the wire they just aren't able to cover for those mistakes 
It was fun to see also in Hard Knocks the conversation with Sean Jefferson, DeAndre Hopkins, about how he doesn't know how great he is. Hopkins being nervous about, you know, the special teams. I think it stands out that Buda Baker at least already looks like a star. The biggest thing that stood out to me also was uh, Steve Keim not being a major player in the first episode. We'll see if that changes at least, how much of it focuses on the owner, how much Cliff. I think at least what will happen with this in season will really depend on what the Cardinals do. I ran a study, and I think the Cardinals' best chance to win a game this year will be against John Wolford this next week. If Kyler can go and John Wolford is there, then I think you've got no excuse whatsoever to be able to have to win the game with Kyler. He is still a level of talent that's higher than Colt, but I would prefer to see Colt McCoy play. I think that right now in this spot, you're looking at a Cardinals team that's having to be able to figure out who do we still have. That means, to me at least, playing more young guys, being able to see what happens. But this is kind of the last stand for the most part, either the last stand for Cliff and being able to play Colt McCoy or the last stand for the Arizona Cardinals in any hope of being able to right the ship or turn it around or give confidence going into next year. Unfortunately, I think this is a spot where the faith in the team, the coaching staff, I've got the... I've got the Rams winning by a field goal, 20-17. to 17. I think Arizona's going to be able to force some errors, force some issues. I think Cooper Cup is going to make enough plays on the field that I think that the Rams are going to be able to get a narrow margin of victory. But that 3-7, and seven, that's going to sink the Cardinals to looking into a top-five draft pick. And I think that they'll win one more game throughout the season. But right now, everyone's hanging injuries or seeing problems. The Cards will have to minimize their mistakes and force their own, I think, at this spot to win a game. And that becomes even more maximized if it's Buda Baker and Kyler back there. That'll be it for us in the ROTB pod. We'll check back in, hopefully record later with getting the likes of uh, Hard Knocks takes and other places into it in this podcast. Me, I'll talk about the cards. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. We should be back at least with another guest or two uh, in the next few weeks. Thanks again for tuning in and go cards. <laughs>